Hey y'all, welcome to a Wonder Lab sermon series. This week we're talking about the promise of mourning. What does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We pray this message is a blessing to you. But uh, I'm really excited to preach. And here's the deal. It's not often that you're going to hear somebody who's teaching, preaching, or communicating that say that they're often excited to preach or teach, whatever you want to call it, about mourning. And I'm not talking about early mourning. I'm talking about the idea of mourning. It's not something that uh, I would say most communicators would be really enthusiastic to talk about. But having spent some time really studying this idea of what Jesus means when he, climbed, when he goes up onto the mountain and his second beatitude is, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. When I really started to dig into this, I realized that this is actually a very profound statement that Jesus makes. Very profound statement that he makes. And as much as it's not something that necessarily we as communicators love to set out on, I believe it has an incredible impact on our life if we allow this truth not just to become information, but true revelation that changes us and brings transformation into our life. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, took all of culture... He took all of the Roman Empire, and he took all of humanity and flipped it upside down. And by doing so, he leveled the playing field for anyone and everyone when it came to who has access to him and who has access to the kingdom of heaven. When he said, blessed are those that are poor in spirit. And as we begin to look at the second beatitude, blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. We're again faced with another statement from Jesus that truly flies in the face of culture then and now. But here's the thing. We're studying the teachings of Jesus because the teachings of Jesus, for those of us who are disciples, and in news you might go, well, disciples, oh, like 2,000 years ago, those that walked with Jesus. No, anybody that follows Jesus, professes Jesus, anybody that opens the word of God and allows it to transform you, you are considered a disciple. And so what we're seeing is that, the, that followers of Jesus were meant to live counterculture lives. The, the Bible says that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Meaning that we live with eternity in mind. Uh, that God, through his son Jesus, has called us to this higher level of thinking, higher elevated way of living that separates us from those who don't choose to follow Jesus. It's, it's, it's really simple. The reality is, is there, there's two kingdoms at play. There's the temporal, earthly kingdom, and then there's the eternal, heavenly kingdom. And one's, one has an ideology and a theology. The other one as well has an ideology and the theology. And the Sermon on the Mount is this fork in the road between the two kingdoms. The kingdom of the world and the kingdom of heaven. So I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit illuminates this idea of mourning. Because I am so excited to speak on this. And I pray that um, a friend sent me a message. And this, it was a great message on uh, fresh manna. And, and as the pastor was talking, he was, he was being f- forceful in the right way with what the word of God was saying. And he kind of stopped and he, and he said, I pray that if you feel like this may be a sword to you, just imagine that sword with hearts. 
you know, to, to soften it. But the word of God, it says, is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's there to cut, separate bone from marrow. And that's how we sometimes have to approach the word. But I, I pray that what is illuminated in you is this idea of mourning is actually beautiful. It's actually a gift God gives us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about this and how it, it, it can revolutionize how we understand grace and how we can understand love. So I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, let your word change us. Draw us to you. Lord, we pray you would open our, you know, our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our mind and spirit to what you have for us. Lord, I pray we'd be open to correction and errors in our thinking and even in our believing as some of the things that, that, that we don't b believe intentionally, but we can kind of end up in these thoughts that, well, maybe this is what it means. And we kind of make the Bible feel and, and adapt to our way of thinking. Lord, encourage us as, in growing in obedience to your ways. Holy Spirit, let these words really be like water to our soul. Lord, let your word become a balm to our spirit and bring truth and healing and restoration and, and life and joy and strength and encouragement. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Um, many of you don't really know this about me. A lot of us, we, we've kind of just met or maybe are getting to know each other more, but I cannot see at all. I have terrible vision. And some of you may be thinking, well, that's because I'm getting older. It has nothing to do with that. I've had bad vision my whole life. I was born with astigmatism. If anybody's familiar with that, that means I'm not nearsighted. I'm not farsighted. I'm just no-sighted. Everything is blurry. It doesn't matter if it's in front of me. It doesn't matter if it's 20 feet. I just can't see anything. And the beauty of being like born not being able to see is that you learn to adapt really quickly. So I just learned throughout like my elementary days and into my junior high days how to get away with not being able to see the chalkboard because I certainly wasn't going to sit in the front row because even though I wasn't cool, I certainly wasn't going to solidify my uncoolness by volunteering to sit on that front row. So I sat in the back. And one of the things that I learned is that I could actually manipulate my vision when needed. I learned that uh, out of habit, you know, because I, I had no other option, because I wasn't going to do contacts. It was, this was back in the 90s when hard, like, like if anybody's familiar with it, it's like those hard contact lenses you put in, and it was like blinking with glass in your eye. I mean, it was just horrific. So I said, I'm not doing that. And I wasn't going to wear glasses because I was like, that's what uncool kids do. And again, I wasn't cool, but I was still trying to pretend like I could possibly break into that cool category. So I'm like, I'm not wearing glasses. So I learned randomly one day in class that I could pressure on the side of my temples on each side. And somehow the astigmatism, the pressure would actually correct my vision for a quick second. And I could actually push look forward and the pressure would reshape my pupil somehow and I could see and I was like done this is a miracle I can see when I desperately need to see and so I was like I, problem solved if I needed to see something on tv I'd just push really hard and I'd see something about whatever it was I was just content and I was like I can do this I'm good and I pretty much went through my 20s that way. I went through my 30s that way. And then eventually my amazing wife, when we moved up to Connecticut, was like, hey, babe, 
I know you think you've solved the problem of your vision, but you look like an idiot every time you like push on the side of your face. Would you please do me a favor and go see, uh, you know, an optometrist? And I was like, you know what? I probably should grow up. You know, at some point, growing up is what we're supposed to do. So I went into town right over here at, uh, you know, at at, at uh, the the uh, optometrist, and I sat down. And he was like, "Well, tell me about your vision." I said, "Sir, I cannot see it all, doctor. I'm like, I can't see it all." And so he goes, "All right, well, let's let's test this." And you know how they always like go first to like that middle. It's like they don't want to make you feel bad, but at the same time, they really want to see like if you can see. And so he's like, "Okay," and so all the way across the room, he goes, "Okay." What can you see? And I said, I said, Doc, I can't see anything. He goes, what do you mean you can't see anything? I said, I know that there are shapes there that are supposed to represent letters, uh, but I can't see anything. And he said, guess. And I said, I don't know, B, D, Z, F. He goes, you got every one of them wrong. I said, I told you. I'm not, I'm like, I'm not trying to like overhype my, my inability to see. I'm just telling you I can't see. And so he scrolls it up a little bit. Now the letters are bigger. And he says, tell me what you can see. And I said, I'm sorry, Doctor, I can't see anything. I said, there are shapes. But if, if it's, it's, if it's, it could be hieroglyphics for all I care. I cannot see. And he said, guess. And I said, be deep. I literally guessed the same thing. I figured it was kind of like odds. My odds were eventually, if I just kept going B, D, F, you know, Z, like I'll figure out one of them. He goes, no, you didn't get any of them right. So he finally scrolls up. You know how there's the big E, and then you have the E, like the other one, the two, and then the three? He puts it on the three, and he goes, what can you see? And I said, I can see those three, but they're not clear. And he goes, really? I said, yeah, it's not, it's not good. I told you. I'm not, I'm not trying to lie here. And so after that, he starts going through, and he, you know how they do the one, two, one, two, one, two, one, you know, one, two. And he spends the next 10, 15 minutes dialing in my vision. We got it all set, and he goes, okay, now let's see what you can see. <laughs> he scrolls it all the way down, and, and I was like, I was like, doctor, I can see the full bottom row. And he goes, what is it? And I was like, I said all of the letters right there. And he goes, amazing. You have 20-20 vision now. I was like, this is amazing. You know, I was like, this is amazing. This is going to be the best. I got soft contact lens. This is awesome. And, um, and so he's writing out the prescription. And you know you have a good doctor. This is what I've realized. You know you have a good doctor when they're appalled for you. <laughs> when, when they're literally like, hey. Why would you go this long without seeing? I just, that doesn't make sense. Like, why would you want to not see clearly? Like, you, would, like, you have kids. Like, don't you want to see their face clearly? <laughs> like, he was, I, like, he was, it was like he was disappointed in me. I could feel his, like, disappointment in me as, like, this person he just met. And I was like, I was like, honestly, sir, or uh, doctor, I was like, I just had gotten used to not being able to see that. I, it's not that I don't care. I was just, I'm so used to it that I like, honestly, I, I just learned to tolerate it. And he goes, why would you learn to tolerate something that's not the best? And I was like, I don't know. It's just the way it is. I just knew how to do it from when I was a young age. And, and I became used to seeing, I, you know, I just got used to seeing with blurred vision. And that was my problem. You know, it's incredible what we can learn to tolerate. We're incredible species. Human beings are God's greatest creation. But it is wild what we can adapt to. It is wild to see the circumstances, given enough time, given enough patience, given enough willingness to adapt to something less than perfect. 
far less than perfect. And when Jesus tells us, blessed are those who mourn, what Jesus was doing, he was being a good physician. He was telling us that we should never tolerate our sin. He was saying that the sin in us should never find solace in our spirit. And the way that we're to do that is to mourn our sin and not mingle with our sin. And that's why this idea of mourning is so counterculture. Nobody wakes up and is like, I cannot wait to mourn today. Mourning is not something that we're, it's not fun. Nobody has ever said, wow, what a great day, a day of mourning. I am so blessed. It's not, it's the, you know, it's the last thing any of us wants to do. I mean, telling people to mourn their sin, I promise you, it doesn't preach well. There are not summer concerts or conferences going on where the key word is mourning. Like, hey, come to, you know, Summer Jam 52. It's going to be morning summer. You know, it's like that's not filling pews in churches. It's not going to be the word of the year for a church. Like 2023, the year of mourning. But at the same time, I believe learning to mourn is as important as the first commandment. What's the first commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your spirit. And you may think, how can I, how could I make mourning as important as loving the Lord your God? When somebody said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your spirit, with all your soul. And as I really started to think about this, I realized this. And I'll, I'll say this about me. I won't say this about you because I know y'all are more perfect than I am. So by far, I'm going to direct this at myself. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to make sure I'll, I'll take that sword with hearts and put it in me first. OK, I'm willing to do that. And I started to realize this. How can I love the Lord, my God, with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my spirit, if I'm willing to tolerate something he hates? How could I truly love him if what he hates I tolerate? Here's, the, here's, and this may be uncomfortable, and I had to, I had to really, like, understand the truth of this statement, but God, Jesus, and subsequently the Holy Spirit is not a fan of our sin. He's not a fan of our sin. Like, we love grace, and I'm all about grace, but grace doesn't mean that Jesus turns a blind eye. Grace doesn't mean that God doesn't look and just, just like, hey, whatever you're doing, I'm, I'm trusting you're reading your Bible. No, what, what grace does is it covers, or his mercy covers us, but his grace sees through our sin to see that we are in Christ. Because that's the thing. Think about it. Sin is what separates us from God. Why would God, why would God like our sin or tolerate our sin if it separates us? Yes, love is what God had for us to send his son Jesus, but what cost Jesus his life? Our sin. He loves us so much then that Jesus climbs a mountain and tells us to, to draw our attention to our sin and tells us that we, we can't become tolerant of something Jesus himself is not tolerant of. So it's important for us to understand why would Jesus say blessed are those that mourn? There has to be something in this morning that is so important 
that Jesus in the second beatitude wants to address it. He's already said, blessed are you if you understand how poor in spirit, how desperately you need me. And blessed are you, my favor rests on you, happy however you want to look at it when you mourn. You know, in the context in which Jesus is talking about, uh, we need to understand that mourning is to be sad or sorrowful. That's the simplicity of mourning, to be sad or sorrowful. But in the context which Jesus is talking about, we should understand that what he's saying isn't physical. It's not a physical mourning. Jesus is not expecting us to be all dressed in black, uh, with ladies with a veil over your face, weeping as if you were at a funeral, grieving over the loss of a loved one. That's not what Jesus is talking about in this moment. Um, he doesn't expect us to walk around with a box of tissues, like ready to like fall on the ground, like bawling our eyes out. Uh, it, we have to think of this in the same way that Jesus, when he says, blessed are the uh, poor in spirit, he wasn't talking about physical poverty. He was talking about spiritual poverty. And this is the same way. This mourning is something that happens deep inside of our spirit as it relates to our sin. Um, that, and I will be honest, I, I do believe that there are times, and I know it's been times in my life where the, my spirit has grieved and my spirit has mourned, and it has come across on my face. I have cried. I have wept. And I think that that does happen. And in the right moments, that's just the spirit convicting us. But the reality is, is this is a spirit issue. And Jesus, in these first two attitudes, beatitudes, he's addressing how our spirit responds to him. So why mourning? So Jesus could have said, blessed are those who feel bad. Could have said, blessed are those who are guilty. That would have been easy. Blessed are those who are shamed. I mean, we've all been there. Blessed are those who are angry over their sin. He could have said any of those, and those probably would have sufficed. But there was something about mourning that he wanted us to understand. There was a recent study done by scientists, and, and they wanted to study the effects that emotions have on our body. How many know that when we experience emotions like joy or jealousy or anger or excitement that our body releases chemicals it releases cortisol oxytocin it releases um, uh, endorphins i mean all, like our body goes through like a chemical reaction to emotions that we face and star scientists started to realize that at, long after that moment of excitement hit our body is still processing the chemicals of that response and all the way through all of our different emotions. And they started to realize that, that like take for example, excitement. After the initial uh, emotion of excitement, it turns out the chemicals still at work in us last for about three hours. So the, our body is still processing excitement after that moment of excitement has passed for three hours. Stress, this shocked me, stress, three hours as well. So excitement and stress, who knew? Same emotional toll as it relates to the chemicals that are still being processed in our body. Relaxation, just over four hours. Boredom, anger, and surprise, two hours. That's how long that lasts. Um, jealousy, 15 hours. Yeesh. Joy. 35 hours. How many of y'all are grateful the joy of the Lord is our strength? Come on, we can get some like pumped up on joy, get that chemical endorphin release. 
uh, hatred. Sixty hours in our body. Scientists found that there was still a chemical response of the of what was released uh, through the emotion of hatred lasted sixty hours. But uh, the number one longest-lasting emotion in our body, and here's the deal. I'll show you the study. They did not. They used this specific word. They said the longest-lasting, most impactful release of chemicals based on an emotion and how long up to 120 hours that's five full days is mourning they said it is the strongest emotion your body can process the most powerful the longest lasting and impactful emotion on our body is mourning I think it's clear that Jesus wants us to take our sin seriously. I know that sounds weird to say, but I think when he says, blessed are you when you mourn, he's saying, blessed are you when you take seriously the things that affect you. And sin in our relationship with him has the greatest effect in that. Why else would he ask us to do that? Why else would he ask us to mourn? That's not, and we go, that's not Jesus. He doesn't want me to be sad. No, he does, actually. When sin comes into our life, when our flesh rises, and here's the deal, none of us are going to get this life right. It is okay to sit here and go, yep, I'm a sinner. Fall, uh, fallen short of the glory of the Lord. Yep, I am a sinner. But that's the thing. Sin's the thing that separates us. Yes, God sent his son Jesus out of love, but it's what cost Jesus his life. I will say it again, and I might say it one more time. It's that reminder, because oftentimes in Christian circles and in churches, we get really good at preaching the love of God. We get really good at preaching grace, and I promise you, we need that grace. If anybody's thankful for the grace, can I get an amen? If anybody's thankful for the love, can I get an amen? We need the love of God. We need the grace of God. We need to hang on to Bible verses like his mercy is new every day because we desperately need that mercy. But we also have to hold in tension the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and our sin. We have to talk about this. And it's not because it's doom and gloom. It's because that's what Jesus was talking about on the Sermon on the Mount. He was talking about the sin that continually corrupts us. That's kind of how we have to look at this. We got sin issues. We got flesh issues. We got fallen man and woman issues. But it's okay. Because blessed are we when we're when we are born. Jesus, he tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. So we know that our sin affects the Holy Spirit. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing, for those of us that are in Christ Jesus, and I want to make this very clear, for those of us that are in Christ Jesus, that have put our faith in him, put our trust in him, we've put, he's, we've put our life in the death, burial, and resurrection of, of Jesus Christ, we can, our sin doesn't separate us. Holy Spirit will never leave us. But that doesn't mean we can't get dislocated. 
There's a huge difference between disconnected and dislocated. Have anybody ever dislocated a bone in their body? It's, it's not like you lost your, your arm. It's just, not, it's just not functioning at the fullest, best potential. So there's a difference, and I want to make that very clear, that, that our sin distance us, can distance us. And that's why when we mourn it, we begin to not mingle with it. We mourn it. And what do I mean by, well, here, let me, uh, let me say this, because I think it's really important. For those of us that follow Jesus, we actually devalue the grace God has for us when we devalue the cost of our own sin. Think about that. If your sin's not that big a deal, then his grace is not that big a deal. We actually devalue the thing that we love so much. When we devalue what our sin, my sin costs me, I go, and how do you devalue it? It sounds like this. I know I shouldn't do that, but I'm only human. Say things like, that's ah, how I'm wired. It runs in my family. You know, it's not that big of a deal. We say, I know it's wrong, but God knows my heart. Yeah, and our heart is absolutely evil in the words of Jesus. Or, you know what? The God knows I'm not perfect, so it is what it is. Like, that's what it sounds like to mingle with our sin and not mourn our sin. Because there's not a lot of sorrow. There's some guilt. There might be some shame, but there's no sad and sorrowful in this idea of blessed are we when we mourn. So here's the thing. If my sin, and again, I'm talking about me. Maybe this applies to you. I don't know. Probably not. It'll apply to me. If my sin doesn't mean that much to me, then the grace of Jesus, his mercy, his life, and his love does not mean that much to me either. I've been wrestling with that revelation in maybe a fresh way in my life that is as I'm writing this, I'm like erasing it, going, that's too harsh. And then I'm just feeling the Holy Spirit prompting me, going, if your sin doesn't matter to you that much, then I don't matter to you that much. Because if my sin mattered and I knew my sin grieved the Holy Spirit, why would I want to grieve the Holy Spirit? And if I'm not grieved by what grieves the Holy Spirit, then our relationship is not as maybe strong or as healthy or as vibrant or as caring on my end because my sin grieves the Holy Spirit. That's biblical. But if I'm not grieved by what grieves him? We've all been in a relationship where somebody loved the other person more than the other person. But that's a true statement. And that's what I'm saying. I'm like, oh my goodness. Because if we grasped what our sin cost us, I truly believe we'd mourn it like Jesus said. We would mourn it. Oh, blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. When's the last time you mourned the sin in your life? What, a, what, a, what, a, what an awesome question to ask. A gathering. When's the last time you mourned your sin? You really took it to heart when you, when you accounted for it. What have you learned to tolerate 
like I tolerated bad vision? Ah, it just is what it is. What have we, what sins have we learned to mingle with that have find rest, have found rest in our spirit that Jesus himself wouldn't tolerate? Doesn't mean he doesn't love us. We have to get away from this idea that because, that because he wouldn't tolerate our sin, it doesn't mean he doesn't love us. It's just very clear. Jesus doesn't tolerate sin. Especially in, in those that, that say we're disciples, we're followers of Jesus. He's not, he's not turning a blind eye at night. Continually, he's not looking the other way. He sees past it. For those of us that are in Christ Jesus, that have accepted the, the death and resurrection, have accepted the blood of Christ, that we are, we are made righteous by it. But that doesn't mean that just because we were made righteous through an act that we're just able to act however we want. We have to come to terms with that. It's the both and. It's that tension. It's that extreme of holding two polar opposite thoughts in tension and finding ourselves in the middle and going, grace, absolutely. Love, absolutely. I am righteous, absolutely. I'm sanctified, and I'm also being sanctified, and I do unrighteous things, and I do have sin, and that's why Jesus said, die daily. Pick up your cross. Crucify yourself on that. It's like Paul. I mean, literally, I love how brazen Paul was when he wrote, I'm the chief sinner. That doesn't mean we walk around and go, hi, I'm Blaze. I'm the chief sinner, and I'm terrible. I'm awful. But it does mean we hold intention. We are so saved by faith. It's not works. We didn't, we, didn't earn our, we didn't earn our salvation. We didn't deserve our salvation. We didn't do anything for it. It's a free gift given. But with that gift comes the responsibility of addressing the other things in our life. It doesn't mean we just turn a back and go, oh, I don't want to address all of that stuff because I'm saved by grace. No, it's because we're saved by grace we address that flesh in us. But there's good news. That's the best part. Jesus never, well, not always. He did just deliver some bad news to people. But those were, who, those were people who did not want to hear the good news. They were completely shut down to the good news. But for those of us, and remember, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Yes, there is a crowd that has gathered as, he's been, as he teaches on the Sermon on the Mount, as he's teaching and, and speaking up there. He's, he's primarily talking to his disciples, people that understand who Jesus is, maybe not to the full scope that we do because we have time, but they believe he is who he is. There is good news, and that is this. When we mourn, we get the greatest gift after salvation, in my opinion. When we mourn, we are comforted by the Holy Spirit. We're comforted by the Holy Spirit. That means our mourning, when we choose to do it, is not wasted. Our mourning over the sin in our life is not, uh, it's not in vain. You know, Jesus promises us when we mourn our sin, he will comfort us through the power of the Holy Spirit. I love in this moment that Jesus, as he's telling his disciples in John 16, he goes, hey, guys, I got to go away. And they're like, you can't go away. We need you. How are we going to do this without you? Where are you going? Can we go with you? And he's like, look, it's better that I go. 
And he says this in John 16, he goes, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That phrase, helper, or that name helper can, can be translated in many different ways. But one of the ways it's translated is as comforter. See, the, what we have to understand is Jesus in this moment is foreshadowing our comforter in our morning. Paul talks about, he says in 2 Corinthians 1-3, he goes, Blessed to the God, be the God of Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. See, the power in mourning is revealed in the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, comforting us, encouraging us, strengthening us to keep pursuing Jesus even when we fall short. That's the comfort. He I love that the Holy Spirit is also an advocate, also a helper. I love that so much. The Holy Spirit illuminates grace that we so desperately need when we make mistakes. He illuminates love. He illuminates mercy. Uh, the, uh, all that, that God has for us in our troubles and in our trials and our, you know, uh, you know, I joke in those moments where it's like we blow all four tires and lose the plot in life. Like Paul says, we're to fight the good fight of faith, and the Holy Spirit gives us the strength and the courage and the encouragement to run from sin, to pursue things like righteousness and godliness and, and, and faith and love and endurance. Like that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. We need so much more of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking about the, one, the Holy Spirit where we're like, I love the signs and wonders. I love the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Come on, let's get some prophecy. Let's get some healing. Let's get some words of knowledge. Yes, we need more of that. And we at Wonder Lab, we absolutely believe in the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've seen it at work. We need the Holy Spirit. We're full blown into that. But oftentimes we forget the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us in confessing and repenting and mourning. Sometimes we need the healer. Sometimes we need the helper. But Jesus is saying, if you, are in, if you understand the power of mourning, you'll understand that my comforter is with you. And we need that comfort. And receive that comfort. It's a promise. I mean, think it, it's, it's a promise from Jesus himself. Blessed are you when you mourn, for you will be Comforted. What good news. That means we don't have to hang our heads. That means we don't have to walk around sunken soul and be like, oh, I'm the worst human being God ever created. But we actually go, you know, I, I, I need to process this in my life. I need to deal with this in my life. I need to repent. I need to confess. I need to bring it before the one who laid his life down before me. And as I'm doing this, the comforter is coming in over the top and, and comforting us as we find ourselves in mourning. It's okay. We gotta, we gotta be willing as followers of Jesus to love the good stuff and also love not good stuff. That sounds weird to say. I'm not saying we love our sin, but we love that when we sin, we're not left alone. It's not like he's like, hey, go clean yourself up, get your life right, and then come back into my presence. He goes, no, the minute you understand 
what it is that's been, what's happened, what, what, what your flesh has like risen to, and you're willing to put that back down, the comforter meets you in that spot. Builds us and encourages us and strengthens us and, and leads us. The good news is that even when we sin, and I'm going to end here, good news is even when we sin, the Holy Spirit does not leave us. That's amazing. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus, it's not like this thing where it's like when we sin, and we all do, and we all fall short. It's not like it's like, oh, I got I to gotta woo him back. I got to woo the Holy Spirit back. No, it's just taking a moment and saying, oh, Lord, I, I messed up. And it's not, it's not the obligatory, oh, I messed up, you know. But it's really counting the cost of that sin. It's really counting the cost and going, Lord, you sacrificed your life for me. Why? Why would you do that for me? And really putting those two concepts of He's calling us to obedience, and he's calling us to holiness, and he's calling us to sanctification, and he knows full well we're not going to get it right, but that doesn't negate us from trying to get it right. And it's not striving, it's love. It's not striving that makes us want to be obedient. It's love, his love for us, his grace for us, his mercy for us, his, his overwhelming love for us. And we respond with going, I'm sorry, and I'm getting better. I'm getting better, Lord, because I, I love you. I love you. And I, if I love you, then what matters to you should matter to me. And if my sin grieves the Holy Spirit, then I, I should be grieving over the fact that I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. As opposed to being like, well, it just is what it is. It's not that big a deal. I'll... I'll repent for it when I get some time. But no, it's just actually going, wow, I've got to mourn this. The longest lasting, most impactful emotion our body can process is mourning. And Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you mourn, when you take it seriously, the sin and its effect. But don't worry. When you mourn, my Holy Spirit will come around you. encourage you and strengthen you and be with you. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Holy Spirit, thank you for your words to us. Thank you for your teachings. Thank you for giving your life for ours, for our sin. Lord, your, your body was and your blood was shed. It was the sacrifice. You were the perfect lamb. And we thank you. Holy Spirit, right now, just come. Teach us to mourn. Sounds so strange, but teach us to mourn our sins as Jesus tells us to. Lord, remind us that your grace, though we couldn't earn it and we didn't do anything to deserve it, it's still not there to be taken advantage of. Lord, I pray that we don't become over-familiar with your grace. 
but we learn to cherish with this incredible sense of awe and wonder of your holiness and your goodness.